just, uh, just read this from uh, Sam and Hannah, and uh, some, I think some have got the, the message already. Um, hi Phil, answer to prayer, we found the perfect house to rent today, thanks for praying, last time it took us two months to find a place, so this, this is definitely an answer to prayer. Please pass on our thanks to congregation. The sun is shining here and it's lovely and warm. He always spoils it, doesn't he? <laughs> We're feeling settled already and reconnected with our friends. We'll keep you updated, Sam. So praise God for that, for safe journey. And uh, yeah, answers to prayer there. Let's turn, shall we, to our Bibles. And if you have a Bible, I want to follow it in the church Bible. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 10. And I'm just going to focus on one verse this morning, but I'll read the passage. 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm going to start at verse 23. This is, this is actually the subject, or the context rather, is, is about meat sold in the marketplace in, the, um, in Corinth, which had been offered to idols, dedicated to idols. And Paul's addressing that. Verse 23, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions, for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of, one who has, sake of the one who has told you and for the conscience sake. In other words, a person who's mentioned this is, is troubled by eating such meat, and so Paul says, for their sake, don't eat. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Paul is always concerned for the Christian to be concerned about other people and their consciences. He doesn't want anyone to cause anybody else to stumble. But as far as he is concerned, he's saying, you've got liberty to eat that sort of meat. Verse 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? And this is the verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And then, I just want to go back to our New Year's text, the text for this year, which is John 15, verse 8. We're going back to 1 Corinthians 10, so if you've got a Bible, keep your finger in that. And uh, read John 15, 8. By this... My Father is glorified 
that you bear much fruit, so will so you will be my disciples. And that text there, that New Year's text, is uh, the text that set our theme for this series that we're doing on Sunday mornings on fruitfulness. This morning we're going to be looking at fruitfulness on the front lines. And in weeks to come we'll be looking at fruitfulness in witness, uh, fruitfulness in generosity, fruitfulness in prayer, and also fruitfulness through pruning. For this uh, particular message, fruitfulness on the front line, I've, I've been, and, and including the studies I've prepared and for the growth groups, which some, many of them have started already, I have, I have been helped enormously by the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, LIC for short, and uh, they have produced materials about the front line. And uh, I've been helped particularly by two books, one called Imagine Church by Neil Harmon and the other called Front Fruitfulness on the Front Line by Mark Green. And I just want to give credit where credit is due in this. They've been a great help to me. And some, some of the examples I'll be giving come from those two books. So what is the Christian's front line? Where's your front line? Our front line is the place where we spend time outside of church. And are mainly in contact there with those who don't know the Lord. In other words, it's, it's wherever you go and you meet people who don't know Jesus. Now, no two front lines are the same. Uh, for some of you, it will be your workplace. For others, it will be your family. Uh, you might be a sort of a parent of children. You might be a, for a better phrase, a hands-on grandparent looking after grandchildren. And if some in your family are not Christians, that's your front line. Or one of your front lines. If uh, uh, people you meet because of being a parent or grandparent, uh, that's one of your front lines as well. It, it might be at school. It might be in your neighbourhood. It might be in your office. Wherever you work, might be as a secretary in the doctor's surgery or wherever it is in a call centre, keep fit club it could be, it could be the chess club, it could be a golf, wherever you go and you're sort of mixing and meeting with people who don't know the Lord, that's the front line. It might be a residential home where you live. In um, the book Imagine Church, there's a very simple example given of one lady who discovered that her front line, as she went through the studies, was the local cost-cutter supermarket where she shopped. Uh, it was small enough that she could get to know the staff at the tills, and it was quiet enough at times for her to talk to them. And she was regular enough to build up some relationships. So it's, it, it can be simple places. Um, one retired man came to recognize that his front line was his weekly visit to an older friend living in a sheltered housing block. And as he realised that, that that was his front line, that became even very significant for him and uh, helped him to pray. And he invited his group, his small group, to pray for them, pray for him. And so they committed to praying for him as he went on his front line. So the, the, the front line might be a place where you regularly spend time 
Or it might be the place where you go to once a week. Wherever it is, it's the place where you're aware of people who need to know Christ, who don't know Jesus. Where God can use you and make a difference. It's where God wants you to be fruitful for him. So how does that happen? And I want to address that. How can we be fruitful for God on our front lines, wherever that front line is? First of all, number one, remember that every part of your life matters to God. Every part of your life matters to God. Just go to the text, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I love that word, whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That, that, in other words, that, that includes every part of our lives. And I think this is absolutely fundamental to get hold of if we are to bear fruit on our front lines. That the whole of life, your life in every part, matters to God. It's interesting, many Christians, it seems to me, don't really believe that most of the things they do day by day are actually important to God. Never mind, actually, that those things can be actually a part of God's purposes and plans, eternal plans. They, don't just, they just don't think of their everyday lives as, as being the arena in which God works. But when you do see that, when you see that every detail of life matters to God, that actually transforms our thinking of how God can use us. You see, there's always a danger, isn't there? I've, I've often referred to this. We, we separate the secular from the sacred. The sacred is what we do in church, as it were. And the, 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 the secular is sort of out there, whatever we do out there. God doesn't make that distinction. And I think we have to fight against this, that there's spiritual and unspiritual. So some things in our, matter, in our lives really matter to God, and then there's the rest of life. It, it, that's not the biblical understanding. We need to really believe that every moment of our lives matter to God. Let me just do a quick survey. I want you to respond here. Just put your hands up, those of you who are in full-time Christian service. Okay. Let me ask again. How many of you are in full-time Christian service? few more are going up. Okay, thank you. You get the pennies dropping. There is a difference, isn't there, between... And paid employment in Christian service and full-time Christian service. See, God wants us to be involved full-time in Christian service out there. Because everyone is in God's service. 
who, is Christ, who, is, who belongs to Christ. Every task matters to God. And the beautiful thing is that because everything matters to God, we can bring everything to God in prayer. And we can talk to God about everything. And we can look to God for his strength and his resources and his grace to be fruitful in those areas where God's called us to be. When you see that, when we see that, the whole of life matters to God. It's easy to see how actually I can be part of God's mission full time. Every part of my life can bring glory to God. And that's exciting. And that uh, leads to the second point. How can our lives be fruitful for God? Secondly, do all for God's glory on your front line. Do all for God's glory on your front line. Again, the text, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All to the glory of God. Just uh, turn to Colossians, if you would. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he sort of brings a very similar word. Colossians 10, verse 31. And this is addressed to slaves. Colossians 10, did I say? That'd be a different Bible, wouldn't it? <laughs> Colossians 3, verse 22. Colossians 3, verse 22 to 25. I'm reading from the NIV. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favour, but with, he didn't know that curry was mentioned in the Bible, that's interesting, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a, result, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So even Christian slaves can be fruitful for God on their front lines. You know, in the places where they are. They've got no choice. They're slaves. But actually they can bring glory to God. And uh, God would hardly ask us to do whatever we do with all of our hearts if, if those things weren't significant. So God is, is great, isn't it, as a Christian? God calls the, us to do the ordinary things in ordinary places for his glory. So if you are at work, to please God, work with all your heart. Do your best. Be as competent as you can be. Be diligent in what you do. Seek to do it as best you can for God's glory. You're working for Christ, not for other people, primarily. What a difference that makes. It might be. I mean, those slaves had no choice. Wasn't it about a third of the Roman population were slaves? Wasn't it estimated that? But it's, so many Christians were in slavery. Forced servanthood. And it may be that you're in, in your job. You're not in the job that you would have chosen. It may be a, a place of work that you... You know, it's, it's, it's not all that fulfilling. But doesn't it take on a different flavour 
when we say actually we're serving the Lord, we're doing it for his glory, whatever we're doing. So uh, this is what I, I, I think is great advice, this, and I, I, I say it's great because I didn't bring it, it's something that I picked up from somebody else. If to be the best person at work, seek to be the best disciple, simple. So be the, be the best mother, seek to be the best disciple of Jesus, the best father, the best work colleague, whatever it is. Always seek to follow Christ and the rest will follow. Matthew 5 verse 16, well-known words of uh, Jesus. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, Jesus wants us to use our front lines so that people glorify God in heaven. A good prayer for our front line would be this. Whatever we do, do it not only to be done well, but that others might praise God. Do it so that others might praise God. That attitude will radically alter how we see the ordinary things in life. Our tasks, our service, our good works are actually all a part of God's evangelistic strategy for others to come to Christ. It might not lead people to Christ, but it might break down their barriers to them receiving the knowledge of Christ. Seeking to do all things for God's glory, I think actually turns, thing, turns good works to godly works. So do you want your good works, the service, every part of your life to be godly works? Then seek to do them for God's glory. That's the difference, I think. You know, many, many non-Christians do good works, don't they? Lots of, lots of non-Christians do good works. The Christian hasn't cornered the market in excellence or anything like that. But what's the difference between good works and godly works? Well, we're doing it in faith for God's glory. So that lifts whatever we do into another sphere if we're seeking to please God in all that we do. In uh, one of those books, there's an example of a Christian who, simple, another simple example of a Christian who worked as an assistant in an educational unit uh, that dealt with severe behavioural problems. And uh, this, this man, he wanted to live as a whole life missionary, as a disciple. So he was reliable, honest, trustworthy and hardworking. But those are basic expe expectations of all staff. You don't need to be a Christian to live like that. So he faced the question of how he could make a difference where he was on his front line. The problem was, because of his nature and the nature of his work, for most of the time he was with just one child. He didn't have much to do with the staff because it was his job to accompany the child at break times and lunch times. He couldn't talk about his faith. That would have been inappropriate. And so he did the only thing he could do. He prayed. He prayed for that child throughout the day. Every day. For a whole school year. 
And he believed. He believed that God would not only hear his prayers, but that God would bless the child he was working with in answer to his prayers. So he, he did what he could do. It became his front line. A good work turned into a godly work. And it, it's, it's great, isn't it? As, as Christians, we can do those things. We don't have to be perfect. You, know, you don't have to have reached a certain level of a perfection. You're never going to do that anyway. We don't have to wait to be perfect. God doesn't need us to be perfect, just available and ready to serve him. So how can we live fruitfully for God? Remember that every part of our life matters to God. Do all for God's glory on our front line. Thirdly, make fruit-bearing your priority on your front line. Make fruit-bearing your priority on your front line. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, which tells us that God's glory, God's splendor, is glimpsed through your good works. God's glory and splendor is glimpsed through your life and my life, through our lives, through what we do, what we say, and how we act, and how we say things, and how we do things. It's interesting, again, I would say this, that many Christians don't feel that they're being fruitful on, the good, on their front line because fruitfulness has been narrowly defined. And that's why we've looked at what fruit is in the past. Fruitfulness on the front line isn't just about evangelism. There is, that is important. Witnessing is so important. But it's more than that. Fruitfulness involves a lot more than that. There's more than one fruit than banana, isn't there? You know, as far as I know anyway. So there is more than fruitfulness. is more than just evangelism. Every part of our lives bears fruit for God. It might be just an act of generosity or thoughtfulness or kindness. It might actually be, involve saying sorry to someone when you make the mistake. It might be an encouragement. It might be praising someone. It might be just be showing patience with someone. There are many ways to show the beautiful fruit of Christ in our front lines. And uh, praise God, the Holy Spirit helps us with that. Godly character, godly work, Spirit-empowered love. All of those things bear testimony to God. And you know, you may be the only person that others see who actually reflect Christ. You may be the, that's why God may have placed you on your front line. In your home, living in, among neighbours who do not know Christ. Or wherever it is. That's why our character is important and really matters to God. Sometimes it's not so much what we do, but how we do things. 
you know, I can do things, but not always with the right attitude. Um, I can do things under pressure sometimes, but not always in a joyful way. Louise was the personal assistant to probably the most unreasonable boss in Buckinghamshire. It's another example. He was bad-tempered, temperamental, indifferent to others, changeable. And uh, she, she worked for this ogre of a boss for about three years. She prayed for strength. She prayed that he would change. She prayed that he would become a Christian, a follower of Christ. But he didn't. And she felt like an abject failure. And in the end, she decided that she couldn't take any more. And she left, feeling like she had let God down. A few weeks later, she got a phone call from the woman who had replaced her. He's impossible. I've been here three weeks and I'm already thinking of leaving. So I talked to a couple of people and they told me to give you a call. They said, you've done a fantastic job, that you've always been gracious and upbeat, despite his impossible ways. How did you do it? The fact is, she didn't realise that she'd done it. She thought she'd failed. And uh, I suppose often we don't feel that we're doing much, do we? Uh, not much to write home about. And I'm sure that that lady, that woman there, there were times when she struggled... And she probably got angry and was impatient and full of frustration. No times, no doubt at times that she felt that she just wanted to throw everything away and just go and leave as she did eventually. But God used her. We all have a part in our actions and reactions if we're to please God. It's interesting as well, even those who are housebound you know, living on their own, they have the opportunity when people visit to show the grace of God. Another Christian woman called Ruth worked for a very good boss. And as a child, she'd had a, a tough time going to a Christian school where she was treated very badly and punished for every little thing. And she was taught that she had to go to church on Sundays and if she didn't, the teachers would punish her. And of course, God would know, they said. And God was a God of anger and of fearsome judgment. So she left primary school with a huge sense of relief that she could leave behind the people who had been so cruel. And the God who would do nothing but punish her, she could leave him. 28 years later, she found herself working for Jonathan. They got on really well, and she counted him as a friend. He was quite simply the best boss she had ever had. And then it happened. She was talking to a colleague who said to her, do you know that Jonathan's a Christian? And it turned out that her colleague was as well. And to Ruth, it didn't make sense. They were such nice people. How could they be Christians? And she thought so highly of them. And then a bit later on, shortly before a week's holiday, Jonathan gave her an invitation to an Alpha course. And she said, I wanted to accept the invitation to Alpha because I didn't for one minute believe that Jonathan would invite me to something that wouldn't be good for me. But I was terrified of once more facing a God of wrath and perhaps also more folks to punish and hurt me. But 
She did go to Alpha and then to a Louis Palau festival where she gave her life to Christ and to a God of love and forgiveness and grace. A God she wouldn't have met if Jonathan's love and kindness and patience and godly character had not been so compelling that her resistance was run down. And all those wounds inflicted over years as a young child were overcome. See, God can use us in so many different ways. That's an example of someone's fruitfulness in character and fruitfulness in witness. And friends, both are important. People need to hear. They need to hear. They do need to see examples of Christ-like living. But they need to hear. And we have that wonderful responsibility in our front lines of being that witness. And so we are called to pray for those on our front lines. For the salvation of those who don't know Jesus. We're called to pray to ask God to draw them to himself. But to use me, use you to be part of that. To explain the difference of what your faith makes to lead them to Christ. Let me finish with another example. This time it's a Bible example. An unlikely person. This person was used by God on their front line to lead someone else to God. She's in the Old Testament. She was only a young girl probably thought a young teenager at the oldest. She'd been carried away as a slave. The mistress she served as a slave was married to the commander-in-chief of the Syrian army, and he was a leper, and his name was Naaman. When this young girl heard that he, her mistress's husband had leprosy and no one could heal him I'm going to read what it says in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 3 this is what she said a young girl here we are 2 Kings 5 verse 3 then she said to her mistress if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria for he would heal him of his leprosy and that's all that's recorded of what she said. That might have been all she said. The result of that sentence was that Naaman travelled hundreds and hundreds of miles to meet this prophet, Elisha. He did what the prophet told him eventually, and he dipped himself seven times in the river Jordan. And he was healed by God. And through that healing, he became convinced that the God of Israel was the one true God. And he became a believer. And he went back to Syria. He took some earth with him, some ground of Israel, so that he would have a spot where he could worship God. And there he was, because a slave girl, just one, if you like, one of the spoils of war in a foreign country, hundreds of miles from home, knowing that she would never return. 
isolated from others of her faith, nothing but a life of slavery to look forward to, was bold enough to utter one sentence. Mark Green says this, she was in the wrong job, in the wrong place, with the wrong people, with the wrong present and the wrong future. Where or where, she must have wondered, is God in all of this? How she must have yearned to be somewhere else. But uh, far from wanting the person who had been ultimately the cause of her slavery to suffer, she actually wanted to bless him and to see him healed. And the result of that one sentence was that Naaman, the leader of the whole of the Syrian army, became a believer. Praise the Lord. Not only was he, he, became, he was healed and became a believer, not only that, the whole of the Syrian royal family heard about God's greatness, and also, as you read the story, the whole of the Israel royal family recognized that God was in control. And it came about through a simple, short, faith-filled, love-filled sentence. You know, in God's hands, little things become great. And that young girl's story can help us and encourage us. Anybody, in our, whatever your situation, God wants to use you in a rest home or at work, business people in a doctor's surgery, in the hospital, wherever you are, even at the bus stop. I was reading, and I don't know where I read this, of one old lady who was very, very badly sighted. She sat at the bus stop with a tract in her hand, and when somebody came, she'd say, would you read this for me? <laughs> and then they read it, and at the end she'd say, and what do you think of that? That was a ministry. <laughs> The front line. Right. Wherever we are, wherever God's placed us, out here, this, this isn't where life is. This is where we get charged up, if you like, encouraged, strengthened, inspired, equipped to serve God out there, to worship God out there, to, to be on the front line where God's placed us, and to create initiatives, to take the initiatives to use ourselves for God's glory and honour. So, God wants us to be fruitful on our front lines. Remember that every part of your life matters to God. Do all for God's glory on your front line and make fruit-bearing a priority on that front line. Let's pray. If the uh, band would like to come up. Let's uh, just take a moment's quiet and let's think it through and uh, let's ponder what... Uh, we're going to take away from this and uh, how it will impact us. What, 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 do we, what does God want us to do as a result of what we've heard? And then I'll pray and then we're going to sing. And so, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come.
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in each one of us tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow evening and then on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and throughout the week wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in that part of the earth that you've placed us, in our street, in our homes, in our relationships, and on our front lines. Lord, help us to live in ways that help to fulfill this, that we might glorify you and honour you and direct people to Christ, to our Saviour. Lord, help us to see that nothing is inconsequential. Help us, we pray, to abide in Christ and to walk with him. And Lord, to, to be able to be directed by him every day. May our prayers in the morning be geared to that, to, to pray, Lord, use us for your glory. Use me for your glory in this place where, you're going, where I'm going today, in the places and the, with the people I meet. So, Lord, would you help us not only to live out our lives, but to speak for you. To have, Lord, those very natural, honest conversations where we just even might be uttering a sentence that we are just testifying to the God that we worship, to the Jesus we love. So help us, Lord, we pray in that. Help us, Lord, help, help me not to be intimidated into silence by what we think others might say but to be bold and to be joyful. So, Lord, help us in these things. Thank you for your strength. Thank you that you go before us. And, Lord, we're not on our own in this. You, you are our empowerer. You're the one who gives us all the grace and energy we need. So, Lord, help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've uh, chosen a song which uh, talks about lifting his name high and I've uh, chosen it because... I want us to respond as we...